I have finally finished 12 long years of psychotherapy, and I am now able to tell you just what I think of you. Would you please call me? Welcome to 200 a Day, the podcast where we talk about the 70s television detective show, The Rockford Files. I'm Nathan Paletta. And I'm Epidiah Ravishaw. And before we get into our episode today, we have a blinking light on our answering machine. Oh. So we're going to see what some of our listeners have had to say about a uh, selection of our previous episodes. First one here is a comment from our website from Dave Otterson, who I believe is also a patron, on South by Southeast, which was our episode 92. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe we remember it well. Um, but we talked about Jim's cat and whether <laughs> whether Jim Jim having a cat at home was an excuse or not. Dave says, uh, hey guys, Jim's cat is called Valentino. We definitely meet the cat in one episode, though I don't remember which one. Mm. Jim is asking Valentino how it got into the trailer, possibly because of a break-in. So I assume <laughs> that Valentino is an outside cat. Jim says something oh. like, you've been a good cat? It's a nice little bit. I don't think we've done that episode. I don't think so. I think, like, I was like, maybe, for some reason, it makes me maybe think of the attractive nuisance. Maybe. I don't know why. I don't think it's in that episode, but for some reason, it makes me think of that episode. There's, okay, all right. We were just talking about, you know, single um, subject websites. Hmm. If you go to cinemacats.com. Oh. <laughs> Perfect. It's Beamer's Last Case, which I'm pretty sure we haven't done. Nope. Yeah. All right. So. So we have that to look forward to. Look at that. Oh, look at Valentino. Well, so we'll have a Valentino debut episode at some point. (laughs) Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. I'm really kind of looking forward to that. Thanks for the tip, Dave. Next, we're going to go to Patreon, where Brian Pereira has a comment for from the Becker Connection our episode 94. I think this is in relation to us wondering why there is that scene at like the car wash, possibly it was mm. a car wash question mark where Becker's asking Jim for help and is quote buying him lunch. And it's just like candy <laughs> from the vending machine. Yeah. And he doesn't want the, the people touching his car. Brian says, noting that the club owner, you know, the, our, our bad guy from that episode, mm-hmm. noting that the club owner does auto racing and owns a car wash, which is in the dialogue may show where Becker's car picked up the planted drugs. A car wash where he goes to use the vending machines for lunch? Hmm, <laughs> a little too cozy. No wonder Dennis was concerned about people messing with his spare tire. Oh, yes. All right, well done. Connecting some dots there. Good. Mm-hmm. I, I'd buy it. W- well sleuthed. Well sleuthed. We also have a comment from patron and friend of the show, Sam Anderson, mm. regarding Roundabout, our episode 96, um, coming through with another good... Uh, actor actor poll for us the woman who slams jim's foot in the door and extracts a hundred dollars from him was played by virginia gregg an incredibly prolific tv film and radio actor she started in works ranging from the herculoids to maverick to nearly every incarnation of dragnet and was even the voice of norma bates in psycho wow where i first knowingly encountered her may be of interest to 200 a day fans a regular on the old-time radio program richard diamond private detective a 1949 to 53 show about a private eye who charged $100 a day, had contentious friendships among the police, got knocked on the head a lot, and participated in lots of witty banter, courtesy of show creator Blake Edwards of The Pink Panther and Breakfast at Tiffany's fame. Over 100 episodes can currently be found on archive.org for any interested in sampling the program. Nice. I'll, I'll 
try to remember to drop a link in the show notes to Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Uh, I just jumped on her IMDb, and uh, she was also in an episode of R- Ricky Brockelman, ah, Private Eye. Ricky Brockelman, Private Eye. Excellent. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll need to do that extended universe when we uh, finally run out of Rockford Files shows. Uh, she's the voice of Tara on Herculoids. So that's if you were me and you grew <laughs> up watching the Herculoids, uh, that's good to know. Uh, I recently, I think we might have talked about this in a Plus Expenses a few years ago, but recently watched uh, as an adult several of the Herculoid. I don't think I've ever seen their Herculoids. It's um, Hanna-Barbera. Okay. It, it's a uh, family that a, a family of of Tarzans that live <laughs> on a planet. Uh, the dad, the son, and uh, the mom, and then they have like a something that's like a six-legged triceratops that shoots m- balls of power from its horns. Sweet. Uh, a flying thing that shoots an electric ray, like a flying dragon thing that shoots an electric ray from its tail, and two schmoos, like two blobs that that I think they're probably called schmoos. Like I can click on Hercules right now and find out. Uh, Oh, Gleeps. Hmm. Uh, one's called Gleep. Uh, anyways, it's for kids. <laughs> uh, watching Great. it as adults, it's very clear that it's for kids. Mm-hmm. It, what happens is that they live on a planet and they protect the planet. And like every episode, something comes and tries to invade the planet and they fight it off. And um, it, it's it's fun, but it's it's got some dated things. Like almost always, Vir- Virginia Gregg's character is almost always told to stay at home. Which is great. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, a storied, a storied career there. Finally, we've had some some good uh, Twitter interactions recently. Some folks have been sending us good screenshots and uh, little trivia things from the show. We sometimes take a little while to catch up on Twitter, but uh, always appreciate those over at 200pod. But one I wanted to call out here, we got a tweet from Michelle Berezanski, uh, at Michelle Berazan one you can find the retweet on our uh, on our timeline. I was searching through YouTube and found this treasure. Knowing that you are both fellow fans of Angel, I wanted to share with you. Did you know this existed? I did not, and will now listen to the entire album. <laughs> this is in fact a 1980 album by Stuart Marglin entitled "And the Angel Sings." <laughs> I will. I will tell you. I to my great great regret i've yet to listen to it uh but i will before our next Mm -hmm. episode i will i will give the whole thing a listen i i remember seeing this come across being like oh i should listen to that Mm -hmm. forgetting immediately and then (laughs) now i have it open in a tab um i didn't really have a chance to go down any rabbit holes about it but it is on discogs uh with a full track list uh for anyone who wants to check out the, as it says, country rock stylings of <laughs> Stuart Marglin. That's perfect. Wonderful. There's 15 for sale from $3.38. So if you wanted to get it in vinyl or cassette. You know, uh, it wasn't until you said, if you want to get it in vinyl or cassette, that I realized that you were talking about the price of it and not a title of a song. Oh. Because <laughs> that... That feels like a like that would definitely be a Rockford Files title. Fifteen mm. for sale for whatever the price was. I wouldn't put it past uh, Stewart to to title a something like that. Is there is there a song called Hotel of Fear? We'll have to listen to it to see because it is titled "And the Angel Sings." I don't think any of the titles make uh, immediate Rockford Files references. Mm-hmm. He does have a voice like an angel. Mm. I've often said. Mm-hmm. 
the title or not the title track, but the first track is Brown Eyed Handsome Man slash Too Much Monkey Business. And it just goes from there. Way back in history, three thousand years, like ever since the world began. There's been a whole lot of good women shedding tears over brown eyed handsome man. A lot of trouble with a brown eyed handsome man. Pay phone something wrong, dime gone, wheel mail, order sue the mother bell for telling me a tale. Uh huh. Monkey business. Too much monkey business. Too much monkey business for me to be involved in. Oh, well, I gotta listen to this. Thank you for the recommendation, and uh, we'll definitely have to check it out. If you'd like to leave a message on our answering machine, uh, email us at 200pod at gmail.com. That's like uh, remembering your own phone number. It's a 200adaypodcast at gmail.com. That's what it is, yes. You can also tweet at 200pod. We see all of our messages at from patrons at patreon.com slash 200aday. And you can leave comments on the episodes individually at our website. Um, every so often I go through and make sure that all the spam is deleted and try mm. to reply to people over there. So that can have a little bit of lag as well to, to show up sometimes. But um, we appreciate it. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. So we're back. We're ready to talk about this episode, which was your pick. It was indeed. Um, it's been a while. We, we've been on a, a, about a six-week vacation here at the mm-hmm. 200 today. Uh, we'll get through the holidays in the beginning of the year. Of course, by the time you hear this, the holidays will be, what, Valentine's Day and April Fool's Day? <laughs> This will be coming out after uh, after we've picked back up uh, after our January break, where we like to take yeah. take that month off just to give ourselves a breather and kind of reset um, for the coming year. And when we were we were getting back, we were kind of discussing how we want to get back. Like, do we want to come in with a bang? Do we want to ease ourselves? And we were the the sort of catchphrase was ease into twenty twenty. Uh, so <laughs> ease into twenty twenty. Wait, ease into twenty twenty two. Oh my, woof. <laughs> So the catchphrase was easy to 2022 for I thought maybe it might be fun to do maybe like a goofier episode or something along those lines. Uh, But I don't know why the gang at Don's drive in. This is season four, episode uh, 15. The title stuck out to me. The title just all the titles. But like like I was like, all right, let's find out what this is about. And uh, the fact that a writer suffering from writer's block hires Jim, Mm -hmm. that premise right there was like enough to be like, yeah, this sounds I I don't remember anything about this. uh, So, you know, this would be kind of a nice, fresh episode to go into. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think I mean, I enjoyed it. I will be honest. I probably would have enjoyed any episode. (laughs) Right. It's a low bar. Yeah, because we're we're getting in, we're getting back into the Rockford and after a break, and it's it nice to to come back. Uh, some classic Rockford uh, actors that show up in this. Mm-hmm. There's some good Rocky stuff that we'll get into. Not like a lot of it, but there's you know some some good moments. Yeah, there's there's some good um, a lot of like some good language, good line deliveries, like a yeah. lot of fun Rockfordishness in this one. This one is actually a a sneak twofer arc finisher. Oh, not on purpose. Just I think as thing, as things turned out. So the writer for this episode is James Crocker, who we still think might be our friend Jim Crocker in disguise. Yeah. <laughs> this is his second and final Rockford mm. Files script. He also wrote Requiem for a Funny Box, mm. um, which we did relatively recently. And these 
two Rockford Files episodes were kind of the beginning near the, if not the beginning of his writing career. Ah. Um, he ended up doing a lot of sci-fi shows, uh, including writing scripts for and becoming a producer on uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. He also wrote for Outer Limits, Twilight Zone, um, some other stuff. Not that that necessarily seems to have much bearing on this particular script. I, if you told me that this was like a canal script, I would have believed you. Like there's something right. very... yeah. He he's in the groove. Like this this episode mm-hmm. is in on track with the kinds of things that the Rockford Files is doing, which is kind of interesting. There's a nice Rockford Files moral display going on mm, here. Yes. Um that also uh undercuts Rockford at times, which is exactly what you want, right? Like you want him to have the moral high ground, but also be like, but don't don't act like you have the moral high ground, dude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh yeah, I I really, really enjoyed that. The director for this one is Harry Falk um, and is the, I believe, the second. I forget which which order they're in, but he also directed The Competitive Edge. Okay, yeah. Which was Ooh. the kind of One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest yeah. uh, analog. Um, and those are his only two Rockford Files episodes. So we're mm. finishing the James Crocker and Harry Falk arcs <laughs> with this one. I, d- I did look around, does not, as far as I can tell, appear to be related to Peter Falk. Mm. But there is a Columbo connection, which we'll get to in a few minutes. <laughs> I do want to say there are some kind of content notes um, for some of the plot stuff that comes up. A lot of the character dynamic of the writer who hires Jim uh, is that he's an alcoholic. And mm-hmm. that's a serious like issue yeah. that, you know, we we will that is part of the plot. And then there is some, it's not graphic or anything, but there is like some gendered violence that comes up towards the end. Off screen. Off screen. Um, yeah. Something that, that had occurred in the past. Hmm. Uh, yeah. I, the opening montage, there isn't a whole lot that uh, I won't, wanted to pluck out of the opening montage to, to show, except that um, uh, they clearly say in the opening montage that someone's going to attempt to kill Rockford. So we hmm. know that. That's great. And we see rocky in trouble we see rocky coming uh running out to the um front of the trailer and shouting at someone to call the cops which is great you always have my attention when rocky's in trouble because i'm like oh no don't (laughs) don't you dare touch our rocky there were two actors that jumped out at me from the preview montage Mm -hmm. i so rarely recognize people that i'm like i recognize them (laughs) first is our our main character Jack that we're going to be meeting, he's played by an actor named Anthony Zerb, who's been in a ton of things and has a, has a face, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I recognize him from one of the '90s Columbo episodes. He plays a magician, um, mm-hmm. and in the episode Columbo goes to the guillotine and uh, is very to me in my personal arc of Columbo watching that is one of it's one of those where it's like it's not a great episode but it's a good episode mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and uh so i recognize him instantly as that magician um and then we also see a recurring character actor that we've seen recently mills watson who played the guy moss in roundabout yes uh he's playing a, a similar <laughs> similarly characterized um yeah, yeah character yeah. in this one but like with the bald head and the mustache and everything i was like oh, that guy yeah that guy it, yeah he's definitely one of those very recognizable faces and of course like he's always playing usually 
playing a cop on something else that, mm -hmm. that somebody gets to thwart. Did you know that we are a 100% listener-supported show? Our patrons at patreon.com slash 200 a day keep us in the podcast business and in return receive exclusive episode previews as well as plus expenses a bonus podcast where we casually chat about media we're enjoying and the things going on in our lives we extend special thanks to our gumshoe patrons supporting this episode dale norwood wrote a book trading freedom how trade with china defined early america is about fast ships cheap drugs and american political economy published by the university of chicago press find it wherever good books are sold chuck from what you're reading dot com paul townend who recommends fruit loops serial killers of color at fruitloopspod.com shane liebling check out roll for your dot party for all of your online dice rolling needs jay adon showcasing his amazing miniature painting skills at jayadon.com dave p dave otterson kip holly matthew lee and jay thompson and finally, a very special thanks to our detective-level patrons for their generous support. Michael Zalisco, Eric Antenor, at Antenor on Twitter, Brian Pereira, at Thermoware, Bill Anderson, at BillAnd88, and of course, Richard Haddam, at Richard Haddam. We follow them too, at 200pod. If you're interested in keeping us going for as little as $1 an episode, check out patreon.com slash 200 a day to see if becoming a patron is right for you. But we start off our episode with Jim as an encyclopedia salesman. <laughs> Always a strong start. This episode does a lot of dropping us in the middle of an of an interaction or a conversation mm -hmm. and just kind of trusting us to be like, we'll we'll get filled in as we go about what this is all about. Yeah. And we start right off with that where Jim is in the middle of trying to sell some encyclopedias in the name of um, he's he's trying to track down uh, a woman named nancy uh who is the daughter of the woman he's talking to as mm -hmm. the salesman but turns out that nancy died 18 years ago i think it's later they say 16 years ago i don't remember i might yeah, have written it down wrong 16 years ago was what i i have um yeah so she died 16 years ago um of a burst appendix and jim is you know has a very like uh, whoops she might have been 18 when when she died 16 oh, years okay. ago um before we get into that bit mm -hmm. about the the dying and whatnot I just want to just appreciate Jim's con here. He has encyclopedias on him. So first of all, he has encyclopedias <laughs> to sell. Mm -hmm. Second of all, I like the idea that he's this. This is a con he has in his back pocket to use because this. OK, this opening feels like not something that Jim is doing. Uh, this feels like the uh, those glimpses we get at the run of the mill PI right. work he does. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it, it feels like this is just like a routine for him. Like, oh, I've got these encyclopedias. I'll bring them. I'll do the old encyclopedia salesman. Right. Right. And what that kind of relies upon is him not actually selling encyclopedias, <laughs> which is great because like it's just like, yeah, I'm here to sell you encyclopedias, knowing that nobody <laughs> is going to buy those encyclopedias. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so I just really, really appreciate it. And also, I think we've gone over this before, but in case you're listening to us and you you didn't experience the 70s or early 80s, mm. that was a thing. Like, mm -hmm. somebody would come to your door and try and sell you an encyclopedia. It, it, this is not like some weird out of the blue mm. kind of thing. We In my house, when I was a kid, we had several, like, A's because they would give you the first book as <laughs> the encyclopedia as a sampler. Uh-huh. And if you want it more. So we just had the A volume of like three different encyclopedias. 
I do not remember encyclopedia salespeople. That was probably before my time, but we did have an encyclopedia and mm-hmm. I did use it for research papers in middle school. Yes. I think we had the 89 and 90 edition, somewhere 89 and somewhere 90. Ooh. Yeah. Anyhow. So the, and, and the gambit with it is like, he knows that she's, that this woman is not going to want to buy encyclopedias, but he says, our records indicate you have a daughter. Maybe mm-hmm. she'd be interested in, in encyclopedias for like an encyclopedia gift for Christmas. Our holiday rate starts in two weeks and I can, <laughs> like, and I can backdate it. And so this is where he learns that she's in fact deceased. Mm-hmm. We, uh, get the credits kind of interspersed throughout this full first whole sequence, including what I thought was just like a nice little touch, which is the, credit for mills watson comes up over him as we see (laughs) him at a door getting ushered in to like a private dining room somewhere very cute well done he's coming into this like private club or whatever it is pulls uh someone he knows away from their poker game because they have to talk about a thing and this is a real like here's a bunch of stuff we are not going to understand what this is about until much later in the episode Mm mm-hmm his character is Stan, uh, Stan Collier, and then he's talking to Bob, uh, Bob Akison or Akison, something like that. Stan wants, needs more money from Bob, and Bob isn't interested in giving him more money to waste. He's, his product company is in trouble. You should be concentrating on your real estate business or something like <laughs> that. And they, they mention Stan being interested in running for state Senate. And mm-hmm. this seems a little bit like an extortion-y thing. Like, I was like, is this guy mob? One of the things I like about this scene is that the character, Stan's, Stan Mills, mm-hmm. um, is basically coming in hat in hand, right? Like, it, he's, he's asking for more money from someone, and he's come into a wealthy establishment where there's gambling going on. So my first instinct is that Stan is of lower status, you know, maybe owes this guy money or, you know, whatever. And there is some talk of like, you haven't paid me back for, you know, whatever. Mm. But throughout it, uh, the way Mills plays the character is so menacing in an understated way that like, even though the status says one thing, the scene says another, right? Like it Mm -hmm. says that Stan's in charge of what's going on here. And the, the other guy like is projecting authority I don't know. It just felt like a great way of, of um, kind of showing that, like, oh, both of these guys feel like they're in charge <laughs> right, of what's right. happening. They're they're engaged in, like, a constant low-level power struggle. Yeah. And we're not really sure why until later. But, yeah, I think we get that from this um, first introduction. They, they got this power struggle, but everything in the text is saying that Bob has the authority over Stan. Mm -hmm. But still, the way Stan behaves, you're like, what's going on? If you're Epi, you're like, what's going on? Yeah. Yeah. Like, he's clearly in a space that isn't his space. Like, he had to be ushered in. Uh, He gets a phone call, and, like, the waiter brings over, like, a note on a tray, and it's, like, a call from your office. He's like, oh, nice touch. Like, this is not (laughs) the kind of environment where he, like, knows how things work. Um, Yeah. But he does go to answer, answer the phone, and it's from his real estate business, I guess. And there's been a nibble on some property... But the reason that he's getting this call is because the the woman who's calling him, who talked to whoever recognized this person as Jack Scour, mm-hmm. you know, the author, he wrote this bestseller. He wrote the bestseller in the 50s, Free Fall to Ecstasy. Remember, I bought it, but I never finished it. 
All I remember is it's about this guy, Rolo, who jumps off the roof in the first chapter and then, like, free associates all the way down. And by the fourth chapter, I stopped reading. Free fall to ecstasy. Free fall to ecstasy. And then she mentions in the first of a long-running gag throughout the episode yeah. that, uh, you know, she never finished it. <laughs> He sounded like maybe he was trying to investigate what Stan is up to. And Stan looks worried. And that's yeah. the important thing to, that we get from in addition to being introduced to Freefall uh, to Ecstasy. Uh, we see that Stan is worried that Jack is um, hunting him down for something. This ongoing gag about this book is, I mean, well, well, actually, I don't remember when everything comes up, but it's it it gets more bizarre and fanciful as you go on, mm-hmm. and the fact that no one has finished it, right? Yeah, that's just, the gag. Just wonderful. Everyone's heard of it, but nobody's finished it. Well, even everyone started it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we go to the uh, the author himself, Jack Scowron. A hell of a name. A hell of a name. Played by Anthony Zerb, and he's wearing his lucky NYU writing sweatshirt. <laughs> That's all <laughs> full of holes and stuff. He's talking to to Jim about the things that Jim has found out. So this is one of these real, real meaty Rockford Files scenes where we're getting introduced to the plot of the episode, we're getting introduced to the character of Jack, and we're getting the Jack Jim dynamic. Yes, all kind of crammed together into this uh, into this one scene. Jack's pitch for this new book he's working on is that he's following the stories of this one particular class from uh, from a high school. Jim is like following up on these kind of lists of names to find out where these people are now. Yeah. And he tells them about this, you know, Nancy's, you know, she's been dead. Like, oh, another mortuary special. Um, there's a high mortality rate from this high school. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which we'll get to a little more in a minute. So they clearly have background. There's old times. They were in New York at some point. They were like carpet layers. Like they worked doing carpet laying together or something for a while. Um, and they apparently got up to all kinds of hijinks and adventures. Lots of uh, old buddy energy, mm-hmm. uh, in- including the, the like. I don't know if no, no. Jack is kind of drunk in this scene already. Yeah, right? and like, he's and he's drinking throughout he's going over to the bar and refilling his glass and jim's kind of giving him little side eyes and there's a lot of jack being like remember those good times and jim being like yeah yeah those were good times but uh here's my bill right yes (laughs) because he has a bill for two days of work plus you know sundry expenses Mm -hmm. jack says that he'll initial it and submit it to his publisher it'll be a few days it's just how the things work but Jim is working out of pocket on this one and would appreciate a rush being put on it. Jack asks if he finished Free Fall to Ecstasy. Well, no, actually, I'm, I'm only on page uh, t- uh, page 15. Look, it's really hard to get in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, oh, I know you're busy. It's just that you'd think when two guys lay carpet together for two years and then one of those guys goes out and writes a bestseller that the other guy would have read it in the 20 years it's been out. <laughs> Jim's not immediate retort, but retort to it is that it was. Uh, I told you the book was stolen from me on the beach. Okay. Which is clearly something that he told him twenty years ago, mm-hmm. and like, fine, you could have re- you could have gotten it out of the library since then. It's been twenty <laughs> years, but it like it it's this feels very much like an old friend argument. Yeah, like it, yeah. it doesn't matter that there's you know yeah it's good stuff. They 
finish up the scene with uh, Jack wanting to get dropped off at the marina. He has someone they want that he's going to interview that he was meeting there and he would like a ride. So in the car, we kind of get the extension of the scene and get a little bit more about this book, uh, which is tracing the John C. Fremont High School class of 62. Jim kind of makes a, a crack about how it's a like real interesting right. story. 200 fry cooks and hotel elevator operators. But Jack's saying that it's a it's an investigation into the working class. It's kids coming from the most depressed area of L.A. No, none of these gilded upper middle class kids with spoons in their mouths or whatever. <laughs> he's talking about a class that was wiped out in Vietnam. Seventy percent of the class was male, and they all went to Vietnam. And eighty-six percent of them died there, or something yeah, like that. Which is it is grim. So okay, so here's the thing about this book, and uh, like. <sighs> You know, the thing that we keep running into with this podcast is like, are we doing spoilers? I mean, like, it's an old show, <laughs> uh, but it is a puzzle. The The subject of this book is a moving target throughout yes, this, yeah. this mm-hmm. episode. Right now, the subject of this book is astounding, right? Like, like <laughs> yeah. what he's saying is like going and looking at a single high school class where it was decimated by mm-hmm. the Vietnam War. Like, that would be an amazing uh the word I'm I, that came to my mind was expose, but that's not exactly what. But like, like that's that's a very compelling subject for storytelling. Yes. So this will change <laughs> as as Jim gets more and more skeptical about what's going on uh, until we get to what the actual subject of the book is. But what's interesting, especially because we have this wonderful opportunity to re examine the entire episode from mm-hmm. from the fact that we've seen the end is how how closely hewed to the final thing a lot of this stuff is like our episode opens up uh, and he, he learns about somebody dying of appendicitis 16 years ago right that's going to be important mm-hmm. and in ways that like i just completely dismissed it like right, i right, like because yeah. right here we're having this argument I think it was in this argument where he mentions like, but she died of appendicitis, not in Vietnam. Right. Like, like this isn't part of this, you know. Um, and he's kind of like, yeah, but it's it's still part of the like working class story. Yeah. Yeah. There's a way, maybe we'll talk about it more towards the end, but I, for me personally, it's like the actual subject of the book actually gets less interesting as we find out what it is. <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly it. Like it starts off with this like kind of compelling one that Jim is actually a little chagrined about his attitude towards it. And he's like, well, when you explain it that way, (laughs) another thing that I'm, I'm enjoying in this episode uh, is this status play thing that's happening with Jim and uh, uh, Jack is that they're both from the same sort of working class background. Jack wrote a bestseller Mm -hmm. uh, and his, his language is all very, uh, I would say purple prose, but yeah. purple prose implies um, genre fiction and and not the the lit fic thing. He like it's academic. It's mm-hmm. it's it's a, a literary mask that he mm-hmm. puts on, right? But when you see what he's dressed as, like his his clothes are dirty and he's drunk all the time, so he's presenting himself as higher class than Jim when clearly they're of the, the of the same. You know, they grew up together economically. The, yeah, yeah, 
and then so Jim is making fun of this guy's book, and then this guy's like, "Don't look down on the lower classes, Jim." And it's just, ah, oh, it's so sweet. I love it. It's just this like back and forth here. It's good, and they have they have good chemistry. I think. Yeah, they do. Good. Like yeah. this casting's really good. They this feels like they're two guys who spent time together, have not spent time together in a long time, and a lot has changed, yeah. and now they're finding new a new dynamic, a new level. They're driving along in the car. The smile on Jim's face mm-hmm. looks genuine. It's it looks great. like yeah. like they're just enjoying themselves, and they're just yeah, yeah. They're they're just kind of shooting the breeze a little bit in the yeah. in the car, and then there's other times where Jim's like much more serious about it. And we we definitely also get this picture of Jack as like probably in worse straits, more dire straits than he is letting Jim know of. I think like with the like, hey, can you give me a ride to the marina? And then when they get to the marina, he's like, hey. Can you just wait around and you can you can just take me back to your house. I'll get a cab from there. I'll get us dinner. Mm-hmm. So he's stretching out this time before he'd have to get himself a cab is really. Yeah. Yeah. What's happening. <laughs> we get a crossfade, which is telling us that much more than 10 minutes have passed. Yes. And Jim is walking around on the pier and then he sees Jack in a shoving match with a guy on a boat in like a white shirt and like a you know like a captain's hat and i think this was actually in the preview montage where jim runs up on there and separates them and yeah uh the 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 guy is is threatening um jack and telling him to get off his boat before he like punches his face in and stuff like that we basically cut from there to jim pouring jack out of his car (laughs) (laughs) yes but i the the i think the shocking thing about this transition is that you're, he's basically pouring him out of his car, but they're both laughing. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, I expected this to be a very angel-like moment where he's like, ah. But no, they're they're back to being buds, you know. They're being buds. Jack is clearly drunk. Like, yeah, yeah. Very yeah. drunk. And he, he does apologize for forgetting his credit card. Yes, classic. For dinner. Um, And Jim's like, all right, well, let's get you up to your room. You know, he's just staying at a hotel. But Jack wants to go into the lobby to get a get get a copy of the New York Times because he can't be having with this uh, the L.A. Is it the L.A. Herald? Does he say a Tribune? The, the L.A. Tribune. He, he doesn't like the the L.A. Press, which is, mm. again, after seeing the whole thing, mm-hmm. has, it hits different. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But in this moment, I think specifically Jim kind of like rags him a little bit. He's like, oh, just because they gave him a bad, gave you a bad review for your book or something. Right. Yeah. And then he has a whole diatribe about L.A. journalism and yeah. journalists in general. There's a real shift that I wasn't really able to identify, like exactly where it happens, where Jim goes from being like, OK, buddy, like we had yeah. fun. Now it's time for you to get to bed to Jim being like, you know what? You're too much. Yeah. Whatever you're, whatever you were looking to get out of this trip, like I can't help you anymore. There's a particularly cruel line that Jack drops mm-hmm. on Jim. You haven't written a bestseller, and I have. For little space between a done and Jimbo. I like. I feel like that's the bit where Jim's like, ah, you know what? It's not worth it. It's yeah. It's just not worth. It. Yes, because Jim is dumping him, and <laughs> Jim's like. <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. Well, <laughs> just call me in the morning. <laughs> he, he's a good enough guy that he's like, I'm willing to entertain, you know, talking yeah. about this when you're sober. But this discussion isn't getting us anywhere. And he goes back to the Firebird, but then he hears a yell and there's two goons grabbing Jack, jumping mm-hmm. him right in front of the, the lobby. So we get a good meaty tussle, as, oh, I, as yes. I note. A lot of good, good sounding thwacks of uh tossing goons around 
lots of lots of body shots mm-hmm. and jim can't resist it yeah jim jim jumps in uh jack manages to kind of squirt away while the two guys are distracted but then they end up just giving jim a couple big big lumps right in this in the stomach and then they go and peel out before uh you know any any anyone can come come to jim's aid the plot begins to thicken mm. We go to a hospital, and there's a bit of a moment where it's like, hmm, who are we seeing in this hospital? <laughs> <laughs> but Jim is walking down the uh, down the corridor. Um, yes. And he's he's coming to visit Jack as a friend because uh, there's no family around. The doctor tells him that the, the real issue here is that he is suffering from ser- a serious drinking problem. Mm-hmm. A serious liver damage, possible brain damage. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this doctor wants to keep him in the hospital as long as possible in order to get him to quit drinking, sober him up. But it's going to be tough since he has this book that he's trying to write, and it's you know it's it's what he's looking forward to is keeping him going, basically. So like psychologically, it's going to be difficult to keep him in bed. We we go back to the book. Yes, the doctor has a line uh, of something like he says that he's quite a well respected and regarded author. <laughs> Yeah, he wrote a uh, bestseller back in the 50s, a thing called Free Fall to Ecstasy. That Jack Scourge? Yeah. Well, I read that book. I read it in college. I just didn't put the names together. Then you're familiar with his talent as a writer. Oh, yes. Well, actually, I never finished the book. I never got past chapter four where the hero, Raleigh, Roland, wrestles with his mother in flashback. It's Rollo. Yes, uh, Rollo. Of course, I was very busy with exams at the time. This is this is when it was very clear that this is going to be a running gag. Yes. Like the the first two incidences, you can dismiss Jim not reading it because we uh, we we have a glimpse of Jim's future. <laughs> and wait, no, does he not read Beth's book, or he he says he didn't, but he did. He says he did, but he didn't. I think right. he says he did, but he like came to watch the movie. Or he's trying to read it right. before he has to watch the movie or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyways, uh, spoilers for the mm. 90s uh, movies. Mm-hmm. Well, and we also get another glimpse at like the bizarreness of the book. I don't know if this mm-hmm. is the spot where we talk about the sea nymphs in the New York sewers or if we already did that. I don't remember the order, but yeah, there's like we hear about like I got to the part where yeah, there are the sea nymphs in the New York sewers and then one one where it's like. Where he's talking to his mother, and his mother was a mermaid, or something like that. Right? Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. There's these little little details that are telling us that this book is it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, Jack is uh, in his hospital bed. Appreciates that he came. Um, I guess we learned that he called Jim in the end. Jim wants to know who those guys were. Jack clearly doesn't want to tell him, and has this whole thing of like. You know, lived in Nuevo York for, you know, 20 years and never got mugged. And then I come to the city of plastic smiles or something yes. like all yes. this stuff. It's a good line. Yeah. But uh, yeah, this guy hates L.A. Hates LA. Yeah. <laughs> Which, again, there's actually good reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but you could see Jim take it personally each mm-hmm. time, I yeah. feel. Like there's a, there's a thing. But when Jim's like, all right, well, if you don't want to tell me, I guess I'll leave. Jack finally gives <laughs> in a little bit and reveals maybe the actual direction for his book yeah which he says that some of the guys from the high school who went to vietnam that came back they came back with connections to like drug runners in laos Mm -hmm. jim's like oh is that what the book's really about 
that's putting you in danger and putting me in danger. You should have told me, you know, et cetera, et cetera. If there's like a drug connection with your with your research here. Yeah. Now, this is like a less interesting book right Mm -hmm. like uh, again now looking at it from uh having seen the whole episode this is a uh this is a ploy this is a lie Mm. and so my question is why this one though like what what i I guess he's just explaining why there's goon i think so right like yeah i i get the feeling that he doesn't really have a plan mm -hmm. like he has a goal and by he i mean jack so he he has a goal for this story that he wants to use to write this new book Mm -hmm. and he feels like he needs jim's help because he can't do all the legwork himself yeah not least because he isn't in a position to be the person to talk to some of the people he wants to write about as we saw with him almost getting thrown off a boat um but he also doesn't want jim to know exactly what the book's about possibly because he knows that it's dangerous that's actually yeah. kind of a question. Like, why not tell Jim other than just his sense of like wanting to blow a whole thing open? It's not. It's not like the the worst. It's not a hole so much because also the other thing is that this guy is we we just get the idea that this guy's not particularly trustworthy. Like, he, yeah, he, yeah, and and that will kind of pan out a little bit more later. He's also bitter about the lack of success. Like, he had his bestseller, yeah. and he's really hung his entire identity on being a best-selling author but we get the sense that he hasn't actually had any success in his life since then Mm -hmm. so there's you know kind of maybe a sense of like he wants to keep everything close to the vest because otherwise someone else might take it away from him in some way but yeah so this is now where jim thinks we're at with the this you know these, these guys came back from vietnam with drug connections in laos and that's what the book's about well, Jim says that he will keep helping him, but he wants to get paid two days in advance, and he needs to lay off the sauce. He's been pickling his liver in booze, and uh, it has to stop. Jack has this whole thing about how all the greatest writers had drinking issues, <laughs> which is, like, not a great... Yeah, <laughs> not, yeah. Not helpful, as Jim, you know, comes back with, you know, he ends up talking about Hemingway, and then Jim's like, yeah, and Hemingway also, you know, ate a shotgun. Yeah. <laughs> um they look at the list of names he still has to look at and uh stan collier jumps out because jim recognizes the name as a big real estate guy um and specifically that he just kind of appeared like he bought yes. into a real estate agency like a year ago and just like started making all these big deals just kind of out of nowhere this is an aspect of jim's uh uh he he's He's just well aware of current events. Yeah. <laughs> Not all the time, but like, it, it, you know, he, he just knows when something's happening. So yeah. he knows the movers and shakers. Yeah. Um. So, you know, Jack has a has a line where he's like, yeah, maybe it's because of his connections back in Laos or something. So mm-hmm. it's like, OK, he has something to something to hang his hat on. Yeah. We end the scene with Jack trying to tell Jim that he's not in such bad shape. He's he's fine. He can deal deal with things himself. And then there's a back and forth about uh, you were talking to that doctor, and then he can't remember the name of the doctor. And then Jim <laughs> says, "Oh, you mean the doctor that told me you might have intermittent memory problems because of yes. your alcoholism?" I will point out that I do not remember the name of that doctor. Right. So yeah, that's that's fair. But <laughs> but yeah. Jim's point is made. There's a lot of like good little things in the writing. This this script seems to me like it had like a real like a real polishing pass done on it because there's yeah. lots of like little things. And this one, 
like Jack said the doctor's name earlier in their conversation. Like you've been doctored talk, oh, talking to yeah. Dr. So-and-so and then he can't yeah. remember it at the end. Like, you know, just a tiny detail that really like, you know, works in there really well. That's good. We go back to Stan, who is, I guess we're in Bob's house. It's a little unclear exactly what the setting is here, but he's looking through a desk. And then there's a woman there as well that we will learn. Her name is Jeannie, and we'll find out more about her later. This is another in the middle of a conversation where we don't know what they're talking about. But uh, Bob and Jeannie are saying that they're in trouble. Um, Bob is not happy that Stan is looking through his stuff. So we see more of their kind of like they clearly do not like each other. But for some reason, they have to be working together or yeah. in the same orbit. Um, they specifically say that uh, Jack is the son of the guy who, quote, was there that night. Yeah. But that he'll be taken care of. Then we have a good Rockford Files line. Nothing too drastic, I hope. <laughs> too drastic from this glass of milk. Uh, that is Stan referring to Bob as the glass yeah. of milk. And then Bob calls them two highly paid pieces of trash. <laughs> so still don't really know what's going on there, but clearly they are not friends. Yeah, yeah. At this point, um, I don't think I had my I don't think I had it pegged as extortion. Uh, I think I had it pegged as uh, business partners partners that would be willing to rat out on each other. Right. Yeah. That kind of thing. You get the sense that like, yeah, they're all involved with something and it's more valuable to them to stay to be involved with whatever that is than to not. But they also hate each other. Yes. (laughs) So, Which I guess is kind of what is actually going on. It's just we very intentionally are being as audience members, we're very intentionally being kept from whatever it is. Yeah. And this episode is a real, other than one or two little scenes, is a real one-to-one of, like, Jim's knowledge and audience knowledge. Like, we have these off, like, you know, we see, you know, our villains. We, like, see our villains in their own scene, and we see Jack in his own scene a little later. But even in those scenes, we still don't really learn anything more than what Jim knows. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. All we get is hints of the interaction. And also, like, I feel like this is definitely a thing that I bring up every time we see this. We see it a lot in the Rockford Files. But I love when the antagonists are at each other's throats. You know, like when there's there's pressures on the antagonists so that they're motivated in certain ways. And there's we don't know precisely what they are, but we know the the vectors that they're coming from yeah. and we we can see like mills i'm oh, sorry stan uh stan feels like i mean the loose cannon is the term right mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. not like loose cannon in in the sort of uh quotidian way we use it like literally this guy feels like a loaded firearm you know he's going to mess everything up for everyone you can just feel him itching to do it right yeah that's good stuff so we go to the trailer where Jim is calling the hospital to talk to Jack, but he isn't there. Just as Jim is trying to <laughs> to find out what happened, there's a knock on the door, and sure enough, it's Jack. Now, this is one of those beats with Jack that is very similar to a beat you would have with Angel, yep. which I, mm-hmm. I appreciate. Like, it's a very, like, comedic moment. He comes in. He has a little bit of swagger, but he's not full swagger. Mm-hmm. I know what you're thinking. But liquor has not passed these lips. Want to smell my breath? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he says he's he thought it'd be better if they were closer together for 
you know, while Jim is doing his investigation, he'll stay at the motel up this up the road. But after a little bit of like banter, Jim kind of reluctantly offers. He's like, ah, why don't you just stay with me? It'll you won't like that hotel. Yeah. Motel. There's the beat where if if Jack declined, Jim would be perfectly happy for Jack to decline. And there's a beat right. where he thinks he's going to decline, but then he does <laughs> not. And Jim's like, okay, well, I yeah. offered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I did the polite thing, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm I'm paying for it. Jack offers to get him dinner for real this time. He has his credit card. Mm-hmm. Jim has to pick up Rocky, so he can come with him to pick up Rocky, and then they can go to dinner. There's there's a bunch of yeah. kind of like banter, kind of setting up what the shape of the rest of the day is going to look like. And then he asks Jim how how things are going, and he says that he thinks he tracked down one of the names. So Jim, in fact, has the yearbook from the uh from the high school and he thinks that this one of the the names on that is now a genie rosenthal who is a top actress agent in la another mover and shaker that jim just recognizes her name yeah so he says you know she she finds all these actors she discovers all these actors and, and jack has the most pretentious i don't watch many english language movies <laughs> so, the french so, jack. so much more human <laughs> But Jim has the yearbook and they look through and they like, you know, read their little bios from their senior pages or whatever. And the one for Jeannie says like, you know, ambition or like goal or whatever. Become a beautician. Yes. And I find Stan Collier, who, what was it like? Stomper. <laughs> Nickname, the Stomper. <laughs> um, reads off, you know, a couple things, including the line, lights digging the scene at Don's drive-in. I'm like, ah, the title of our episode. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Jim thinks that it's weird that these two big L.A. names came from these, you know, this humble origin. And Jack has a whole thing about how it's the American system. You you know, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and overcoming your origins and stuff like that. And Jim's like, mm, I, I guess. But Jim has to leave to pick up Rocky. Jack says, you know what? Actually, he's going to stay. He's going to call. He'll he'll call this, you know, this woman, Jeannie, and set up an interview. Jim has a a telegraph look at the bottles of wine over his fridge. And Jack says, yeah. I promise that I won't drink. <laughs> well, let's take a little break. Uh, we want to make sure that, you know, where you can follow all of our other projects and interests online. Epi, where can our listeners find you? Uh, you can Google Epidia. I am the only one out there that I know of. Uh, you can go to dig a thousand holes.com. That's, the number a thousand, or you can go to worlds, plural, without master, singular, dot com and uh, find my work there. How about you, Nathan? My internet home for all things NDP is at ndpdesign.com. You can find all of the links and information for all of my various games, including the Worldwide Wrestling role-playing game, my zines, and uh, podcast projects, of which perhaps there may be more than one. You can also find me on Instagram and Twitter at NDPaoletta. As always, if you want more information about the podcast, go to 200aday.fireside.fm. And now back to the continuing adventures of Jimbo Rockfish. Cut to Jack slurring and singing and throwing an empty wine bottle in the trash as as there are two goons pull up outside the trailer in a big blue Ford. I'd laugh. I mean, you shouldn't laugh at it. Like this guy's got a disease, right? Like Mm -hmm. this is, this is, but also this is a classic Rockford files pattern. Yeah. Yeah. 
Rockford's friend, who's clearly demonstrated to Rockford several times that he's not dependable, and Rockford going, "Okay, I'll I'll trust you this time," <laughs> and just yeah, yeah. So yeah, as as we might expect, they 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 bust in and grab Jack. Mm-hmm. There's a good line: "Settle down, or my friend here will put a sunroof in your skull." <laughs> they see from the paperwork that. He's staying with a PI. Like, why do you hire PI? And Jack has a thing, which I, you know, I think is he's trying to 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 be cool here. He's, he's yeah. Like, he's just he's he's just a friend. I'm not hiring him for anything. He doesn't know anything that's going on. And they say that they'll wait around and ask him. You know, ask him himself what he knows. We cut to Jim and Rocky arriving, and we get some good Rocky stuff. Yes. It starts great because, like, I, I cannot describe this. I don't know if I'm the only person in the world. You, like, okay, there's there's a classic thing where somebody asked J.R.R. Tolkien what his favorite word was, and he said it was cellar door. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, the cellar door, because it just sounds, you know. Yeah, it's like the most beautiful two words yeah, in English language like or that. something. Yeah. For me, the most beautiful sound is Rocky saying Oxnard. Well, I think you're glad we're going to miss the lodge fundraising at Oxnard. There's nothing in this world that is just, it's, I can't, I can't describe it. It's just, it's, it's my ASRM. <laughs> it's just, mm-hmm. yep. Oxnard. I, I agree. I wrote it down. Rocky <laughs> yeah. says Oxnard. His truck is in the shop, I guess. And yeah. Jim wants to keep Jack company as well. He should, which mm-hmm. means that they can't go to the fundraiser up in Oxnard. Yes. And Rocky accuses Jim of. And I think you're glad we're going to miss the bagpipe band too. Glad to miss the bagpipe band after you know how much I like music that drones. How can you say that? <laughs> uh, it's so funny. But this is only the, the smallest taste of Rocky because what we're about to get. Oh, exquisite. Rocky goes into the trailer first because Jim's going to bring in the groceries. Mm-hmm. He gets grabbed by one of the goons. It's the skinny. There's a skinny goon and a big goon. Mm-hmm. The skinny goon grabs him by the lapels and he just instinctively gives him a huge right hook across yes. the face. It's so good. Rocky punch. <laughs> he spins away. The big goon comes after him. Jim comes after the goon. They tussle outside. There's a good moment where uh, the goon has his hands on the grill to like steady himself, and Jim slams the lid down on them. Yeah. Um, and then Rocky comes back out of the door and yells for someone to call the cops uh, from the preview montage. And so our goons take off, uh, but they already had Jack in their car. Jack is like tied up in the back seat. But one of the things, that, so Rocky comes out, he, he yells, "Someone call the cops!" And we do see someone over by the restaurant. Mm-hmm like run to go call the cops which yeah. is great and and this is the cue for the goons to leave and as one of the goons is leaving rocky takes a swing at him with his boot and it, <laughs> it's oh it's wonderful like yeah get out of here yeah we don't see that much action from rocky but this was this is good it was good up to the again pure rockford files uh realism where jim compliments rocky's right hook but then asks him <laughs> if he needs some ice for his hand cuz rocky's like oh Oh, I might need to call the doctor, Sonny. <laughs> oh, poor Rocky. Yeah. We then go to a very dramatic scene where our goons have Jack on a rooftop mm-hmm. and says that he's writing lies and their employer just wants him to stop writing lies. He refuses. Uh, it's the writer's calling to write the truth. He has all this ivory tower, academic, yeah. flowery 
way of, you know, talking about how writers have responsibility to, to, to truth itself and stuff like that. He, he also does like, I don't remember if it's exactly this moment, but he does a lot of like name dropping of other author, great mm-hmm. authors as if he belongs in that category, in that echelon of authors. He ends with the Pope and the Borgias together couldn't stop Dante. Yes. You're not going to stop me. Before that, we'd had some back and forth. It was like, what, are you going to push me off this roof? And like the two guys look at each other. It's like, oh, you want me to recreate my novel? Like, <laughs> you know, but that's, that is clearly the implication that is that we're getting here. And then he says, and you're not going to stop me. And our skinny goon goes, oh, yes, we are. <laughs> and then we freeze frame on Jack's scared face. Mm-hmm. And I think it is a good dramatic moment because now there's this unresolved question over pretty much the whole rest of the episode as I'm watching it. The question that I have watching this, not really remembering how this episode actually goes, yeah. is when does Jim find out that Jack is dead? Yes. Right. <laughs> right. It's it, there's lots of funny banter. There's, you know, the back and forth about like, uh, yeah, but in the end, it ends with like a lot of menace Mm -hmm. and and again it's this feeling once much like stan is jack feels out of control like he's not he's going to keep throwing himself against this horrible wall until it kills him whereas stan is going to just take this to the extreme and do violence against someone uh there's something in this scene that so there there's a lot of uh, machismo in in his like mm. you know like the flowery language and being like above it all he's a writer he's got this higher calling but also it does feel quite a bit like he's trying to convince himself of it, oh yeah mm-hmm. which I like like yeah. I, it, like it it it's both it's insufferable <laughs> so you kind of want to see him at least get knocked around a bit but mm-hmm. also um it's also a little sad yeah yeah I, I enjoy it. Not as much as I enjoyed this very next scene. <laughs> so the next scene is one of the one of the themes that I think, you know, you, you mentioned a lot and that we come back to a lot with the show is that one of the strengths of the show is that it shows us little moments of why these people are friends, mm-hmm. even while the big strokes are almost only almost always about the tensions between them. Yeah. Why is Jim friends with Angel? Why is Jim friends with Becker? Here we get a scene where we see why Jim is friends with Becker. <laughs> I got to say, if if we do uh, a Malibu madness mm-hmm. this year, who knows if we do, uh, I got to remember that this scene is going to go for Rockfordishness. <laughs> mm-hmm. I would say that this episode is worth this scene. That's mm-hmm. that's what I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. Like, like if you if you don't care for anything else that happens in this episode, even if you don't care for Rocky punching a guy, <laughs> and which you should care for, because that's also pretty much what that uh, worth the episode. Yeah. This is a great scene. So it's 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 a Jim uh, Jim with Dennis at the station. We're, we're coming into the conversation after he said after he's told him that Jack was kidnapped and he wants to you know report it and Dennis has to do something. Right. This is this is something that we have experienced. Uh, like we're in season four now. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if you were watching these in order, which we have not, uh, <laughs> you've experienced this a thousand times, right? Like you've you've seen Jim. You've you've seen him come to Dennis looking for help and Dennis not being able to provide it. Right. So I think so. our expectations coming into this is like now we get to see Dennis kind of like roll his eyes and kind of. (sighs) Yeah. Like this is not how police work works. Right. right. Yeah. But he he I think with with glee in his eye. 
Yes. <laughs> does a 180 and is like, you're reporting a kidnapping. Mm-hmm. And he goes over to like the police, I don't know, stenographer. Or, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and is like, okay, type up the report. And he gives her all the info that clearly Jim just gave him. Uh, taken by force by two white males of mid-30s, average height, uh, last seen uh, driving a blue LPD. I'll punch that into the desk so the black and whites will have it right away. Affirmative. And when you get done with that, meet me at the car. I want you with me. Lankowski, notify the FBI. Dennis, I don't know what to say. I, I was kind of half expecting. Well, it's a possible kidnapping. That's what I'm here for. You give me something I could move on, I move. That's all I've ever said. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's a, it's a joy to see a Dennis in command. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, this feels otherworldly. Like he is, he is in charge and yeah. And as you say, and then, and then Billings is on the phone and he hangs up and he gets another call. There's a bank robbery in progress with, <laughs> with armed robbers and hostages. And Dennis is like, Oh, well then here's what we're going to do. And he yells all these orders and has everyone go places. And it's like, you go, you know, you call the Lieutenant, ask him who he wants to have on the team and all this stuff. And everyone rushes out of the room and it's just Jim and the police, the, the police woman who's finishing up the report, totally silent. She's like, click, 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 pulls out the typewriter, gives it to Jim. He's, he looks at it. He's like, uh, yeah, this looks good. And then she leaves. He's yeah, all alone in the <laughs> apartment because something much more important came up, and so Jim's thing is just dropped immediately. It just utterly evaporates. It is. It is. Uh, I mean, it's a gag. The whole thing is a gag. Yeah, but it's a beautiful gag, and it just happens. Uh, like they they got me. I mm-hmm. think is what it, like yeah, I, yeah, like yeah, I can yeah. feel it. I'm like, what is happening? This is and like you're, you're right. Like there's this genuine moment where not only is is it this genuine moment where um, Dennis says, you know, you give me something to move on, I move. That's all I ever asked. But also you can feel the sort of glee with the fact that Dennis knows he's he's like going against Jim's expectations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get to show him up. Yeah, like. Right. It's like, for once, you're not like some guy punched me. I want to file, a, you know, something. It's yeah, like, yeah. you don't know who he is. You're in your line of work. This isn't even that big of a deal. Like, why are you coming to me? Like, this is a very clear cut thing. And he's ready. He's ready and willing to help. But then it just gets totally shelved because something more important comes up, which is also very like, this is just how the police department works. Like, mm-hmm. this is the most important thing. Uh, yeah, it's extremely good. But also just that moment of like, that's all I ever asked. I don't know. That's like a real. Yeah. Every so often, Dennis does what Jim needs him to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, good, uh, stuff. good stuff. Good scene. Getting that one scene for each of the main cast in there in this episode. Really. Yes. Really giving good juice. I mean, they're angels not in this one, but really getting something good out of the, the Dennis and, and the um, yeah. Rocky appearances for sure. All right, so Jim still needs to follow up on stuff by himself. So he tracks down Jeannie Rosenthal, who we see as the woman that we saw earlier. You know, we hadn't gotten her name at that point, but who was with Stan and Bobby. He is led to her table, and she's on the phone in a booth at a restaurant, like telling some actor he's never going to work in that town again or whatever. The the phone call is um, interesting because it's uh, she's she's telling the actor... Of course that movie was bad. You weren't good. You're not good enough for that role. I wouldn't have given you that role. So if you really want to do work, like so here's the thing, right? She 
much like Stan shouldn't be in real estate, mm-hmm. it's very likely she shouldn't be in casting. Right. I was trying to figure out if this is supposed this phone call is supposed to indicate that like she's just she's just awful. She's not like she's just an awful person that uh you know is telling an actor that they're not good enough for the role and she would definitely get this actor roles that they're good for. Mm-hmm. Like you're you're play, you're you're aiming too high, buddy. You got to <laughs> go you got to go lower. Um yeah, maybe. No, I mean I think that's probably a good read on it. I don't I th- the scene had a little bit of like a lot of banter. Yes, it was fast talk. And I think I probably missed, you know, some elements. She does have the line. She she's with her like secretary or whoever, and she has a line where she says like she's done with casting ethnic types. She needs white bread. Yeah. And then Jim walks up and she turns and sees him. He's like, "Like that, that face." <laughs> and Jim says, "Oh, not me. I'm I'm white bread, but Heavy on the mayo. <laughs> Whatever. I don't know what that means, but it's very funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. It's also good that she's like, I need an, I, you know, I, th- I need an actor and then looks at James Gardner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that. That guy. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good little bit. Like, that's very funny. Um, so Jim wants to talk to her about Jack Scowron, who she doesn't really remember, then remembers it's a, he's a writer. Um, we know that she knows who he is, but she's yeah. kind of doing the like, oh, since you're, you know, I don't really know, but I remember the book. She mentions that she didn't get past chapter four of mm-hmm. Free Fall to Ecstasy. We learn somewhere in there that uh, the book is 10,040 pages long. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of those great things where she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then starts revealing that she knows a lot about mm-hmm. what. Because she talks about it's it was on the bestseller list for like a week and a half and was just really, really pumped by its publishing house. It should have lasted longer by how much the marketing like so she's revealing that she knows a lot about this particular like, because I wouldn't know that about any book or anything. She's like it was riding the wave like the Kerouac like yeah. the beat wave, but it just came out a little like right at the end of that. She's basically like, uh, sure, it's a bestseller, but like not because it's a good book is kind of what she's <laughs> the case that she's making. So uh, Jim asks her if Jack got in touch with her for a new thing he's working on. And she says no. Um, and then he's like, OK, you know, he's going to leave. But he drops as he leaves for someone who started off to be a beautician. You sure come a long way. Yeah. Just like throw that in. Just stir the pot. Right. Yeah. Uh, so we go to Jeannie and Stan talking about this very encounter uh he this guy jim rockford he must know something and then we have a new guy come in i think this is guy the guy from the boat maybe i didn't really recognize yeah the i face. don't i'm not entirely sure who this guy was he's i mean it's established later who all these people are yeah i guess like for the purposes of the story but his name is fred and he's a restaurant guy so he's, mm-hmm. he's talking about how he has a new restaurant he's opening and he's under all the stress and whatever so Fred, Stan, and Jeannie are waiting for Bob because they want to talk about this situation and now this Jim Rockford guy. They don't know where he is. Stan wants to take Jim out. He doesn't care what Bob thinks if he can't even be there for their meeting. And he specifically says, they all took an opportunity on that yacht and their fates were sealed forever. Yeah. So now whatever they have to do to protect themselves, they got to do it. We have a uh, Jim heading back to the trailer uh, where Rocky is trying to open beers with his hand that is all <laughs> bandaged up. <laughs> um, there's no word from Jack. Uh, they, they're looking through his stuff 
And Jim specifically is looking through his notebook, but his notebook for his new book, it's all just like doodles and scribbles. Like there's no notes or bullet points or interview notes or anything. So I think, so Jim's getting more and more suspicious about what Jack is actually doing. Yeah. Uh, And as they look through his stuff, Rocky sees a cut rate plane ticket. I went back to note this because it comes up in a later scene. (laughs) 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 Just like lots of little details that all pay have payoffs in this in this uh whole sequence and then jim finds a news clipping about the woman nancy that we were talking mm-hmm. about way at the beginning of the episode her death from the birth appendix uh, appendix or whatever uh there's a news clipping that jack had in his stuff and jim's kind of like reading through it and it mentions the neighborhood drive-in uh don's drive-in and jim notes that and we remember it because it came up in yeah it's both the name of the, the title of the episode and also it came up in the yearbook. So Jim's just like, something weird is going on. So Jim goes to Don's drive-in. Yeah, the weird con. <laughs> a weird con. Again, we're coming kind of at the end, yeah, I think. Yeah. But Jim basically saying like, well, you could be liable for a lawsuit. Like, what? Lawsuit? So he's talking to Don, presumably, mm-hmm. who has been running this drive-in since that, you know, since 62, since before 62, because that's when yeah. these events happened. But Jim's, this comes up through the conversation, but... But his his line is, he was talking to Nancy's mother at a party, yes. and she was she doesn't believe that that's why Nancy actually died. And there's this new, you know, has a techno bible name. There's this new something something process, littler waxman or something like that yeah, that, that I, can detect things like E. coli twenty thirty years after death. So they can exhume her body and see if food poisoning from Don's drive-in was approximate cause for her death. <laughs> and this guy's just like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, like, why are you involved in this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, what he gets out of this, I think Jim's just, just throwing stuff out there. He just wants to get something, anything. Yeah, he's looking for uh, any path to follow at this point. This scene is here to establish the narrative causality of 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 our episode like yeah yeah <laughs> we, we need this scene to be here so that jim can find out this particular piece of information which is the guy says she could have eaten any other time that day she could have eaten on that yacht and jim's like ah what yacht there's yes. a big there's a big high school party bobby atchison had a big party that night out on his family's yacht like the atchison fam- family that owns the la tribune <laughs> yes uh-huh mm-hmm. and jim's like oh were any of these other kids like part of the gang that like you know hung out at the drive-in and he recognizes the name stan collier mm-hmm. he used to clog up our toilets on purpose <laughs> that's why they call him stomper yeah i call him stomper and really, it just feels like for no reason, but I guess it's just because, I don't know, it's in the script. And mm-hmm. then he just, like, slut shames Genie at the end. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like, I recognize that one, too. I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. That felt unnecessary, but okay. Well, I guess the point is to, you know, say that these are not a group of good kids. Right, right. Is what you're trying to, what is being communicated by the, by how he's describing them. The, the other sort of off thing about this, cause it, like you were saying, it, this is, this is a narrative connective thing, right? Like it gets us from point A to point B. Mm. I think, I don't remember what Jim asks him, but he was, he's like, how am I supposed to remember these punk after 16 years? Like you just did. 
<laughs> you just revealed that you knew they were at a yacht that night, mm-hmm. and like that's a lot of information for someone who runs the drive-in to know about. Yeah, a night yeah. sixteen years ago. Uh, but you know, if it's a night somebody died, maybe yeah. I mean, and it's possible. I don't think it comes up, but it's possible that he got like paid off. Also, as we will learn, a lot of people got paid off. So yeah, yeah, that's true. Yes, yeah. But yeah, it's it is a thing that it doesn't really matter. It is an element of the. I don't, you know, why would I know anything about that? Here's all the things I know about that. That yeah. just to get us to Jim having the information he needs. Yeah. Um, we go to the airport where Stan is picking up uh, someone in a cowboy hat <laughs> who starts off with the line, who's dying? <laughs> yes. This is a, this is a Rockford Files character. Yeah. Like, here's a hitman in a cowboy hat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to know anything else about him, and we never really learn anything about him. Yeah, He's yeah. just here f- to add this menace at the end. Um, so Stan, it looks like, so Stan has hired this guy. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, here's his uh, address, uh, license plate number, make a car he drives. Maybe uh, you could make it like a, a suicide. Don't tell me my business, okay? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little absurd, but it's also like, this is a character that is going to live in my mind forever. And yes. He's in this episode for like three seconds. Yeah. So. He's also like exactly the solution that you would expect Stan to get. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'm going to hire a guy from Texas to, to kill or Oklahoma. You almost expect it to be Angel in a disguise. Like it's right. a crossover <laughs> with the one where he has his hitman con and like Stan yeah. like called, <laughs> looks him up in the newspaper or something. Uh, uh. The things that could have been. Um, back at Jim's trailer, all of Jack's stuff is gone. Um, either someone wanted to make it look like he never came to L.A., or maybe Jack got it himself. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, like, we still have not learned that Jack is dead. Maybe he, he isn't? <laughs> and, and the, like, the solid clue that Jack may have gotten it himself is the fact that they took the dirty sweatshirt. Mm-hmm. Which you wouldn't, if you were just like, we gotta go there and grab all of you wouldn't know with Stan's. The dirty sweatshirt that was like on the couch. Yeah, yeah. He so Jim asks Rocky, "Hey, that plane ticket you saw, what airline was yeah. it?" I'm like, "Oh, that was a thing." So I went yeah. back and made a note about where he saw the plane ticket, and he doesn't remember the name, but he remembers like it's the one that has this particular service. And oh, this is where Rocky can't open the beers. Uh, no, helped, no. I, or was I it in both scenes? It's both scenes because oh, maybe. I'm trying to remember because th- this this scene is definitely the scene where where as Jim's leaving, Rocky's like, "Yeah, go on, I'll I'll figure out how to cook dinner with my one hand." <laughs> like, no, this is where Jim Jim like he's like, "Oh, I'm sorry, Rocky," and he goes over and he opens the beer for him and puts mm-hmm. it down, and then as he's leaving, yeah, Rocky's like, "I'll find out some way to cook my own dinner with yeah. one hand." <laughs> and Jim just rolls his eyes. Our, our hatted assassin follows Jim as he leaves the trailer. Which is good news because Rocky's in the trailer mm-hmm. and I'm glad that Jim's taking the guy away from Rocky. And we cut to Jack at the airport bar. I guess he's alive. Yeah. Um, And he's just talking to the bartender, dishing out some opinions on some other writers. <laughs> and he ends with, and his latest book has no teeth. And that's when Jim <laughs> comes up with, and you'll be just the man to read it. <laughs> so good. So this is, I feel like, the slightly more rare exposition scene at the end of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like this kind of scene we often get at the beginning of the episode to, like, get us into the story. This is a big exposition conversation that tells us 
what is actually what actually happened in the past. Right. Jim is now pretty confident that Nancy did not die of a burst appendix, but was in fact murdered. And Jack is like, well, it wasn't technically murder, but she was killed. <laughs> okay. Um, and that his book actually is an expose on Bobby Atchison, you know, killing a girl when he was 18 mm-hmm. and then his family covering it all up. And if Jim had known that from the jump, he would have rode in on his white horse to bring justice and it would have messed everything all up. Um, Jim, of course, is mad that he was put into all this danger without knowing why. And he wants to know what Atchison bought Jack off with because Jack's at the airport going back to New York. Mm -hmm. Like at this point, who cares? What's the point of bringing down the family that owns the Tribune? Who cares? Jim doesn't buy it. Uh, he's like something, he offered you something and we, uh, have a good, I think you, you were mentioning at the, when we were in our intro that there's, um, some pushback against Jim's, you know, moral sense. Uh, and I think we kind of get it here. The LA Tribune is an institution and a valuable one. People everywhere depend yeah, on it. Yeah, paid in stream section up and over. Right? Ah, get off my back. You haven't lived my life, so don't criticize my choices. Yeah, so here we have a scene where Jim is trying to get him back in play. Mm-hmm. I'm not entirely sure why, but it, it feels like like mainly like because he thinks this guy should not back down on the thing that he backed down on. Right, right. But Jim wasn't threatened on the top of this roof. Right. So there's like a uh, there's a, there's a sympathetic patheticness to this character. Mm-hmm. Uh, like earlier, Jim had this great like you did a great impression of a bowl of Jello, and that's true. Um, but also, why not? Right. What does he have to gain by standing up? And yeah. Then, yeah. 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 There's just a sense that Jim's like in my universe when you know that something when you know that someone is guilty of a crime, they should yeah. face justice. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're always going to get like arrested or whatever. But right. You know, Jim, Jim lives in a world where he's like, when I think, when I see that someone has been wronged, I write the wrong. Um, mm-hmm. Except when, except when he doesn't. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but in this case, it seems fairly clear cut, but Jim has led a life where he writes wrongs. Right. That, that's his, you know, that's, that's, that's the investigator that we love so much. Sure. It's <laughs> yes. grimy and, 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 and is always, you know, scraping together what he needs and and isn't willing to take every case but at the end of the day we know he's doing what he knows is right uh while we get the sense that jack has led a life that he had a big high and it's all been downhill since then yeah and everything he's tried to do that was right just got him kicked in the teeth again here was this potential to reclaim his former glory and then he was convinced that it was not worth taking basically Mm -hmm. um he does tell jim more the details of the story which he has found out or that he did know uh which is that bobby was forcing himself on nancy on this yacht during this party she didn't go along and then she she laughed at him because he was so inept and he had a gun just to scare her and he accidentally shot her yikes (laughs) yeah as jack is exposing this to the audience his stance on it is like another level of yikes Uh he's 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 saying that was an innocent mistake he was just trying to force himself on her (laughs) and it's just like oh Uh oh but also jack like again jack's in this position where he's drunk again Mm -hmm. and he's trying to talk himself trying to talk himself into 
accepting the thing that he's already accepted. Right. This, yeah. this bribe that, that, that they've given him against the, for best, for lack of a better word, the angel on his shoulder of Jim being like, yeah, you know, this is wrong. Yeah. Um, so Bobby's dad, a powerful rich man bought everyone off giving all those kids who are there a new life. So it sounds like, like his patronage is what got Stan into the real estate business is what got Jeannie into the agenting business. Yeah. Including the cops who, you know, investigated the, the, the death. Um, Jack knows about it in the first place because his dad was an LA cop, which is like, this is a new thing. We didn't know that before. And Jim's like, Oh, right. You know? Yeah. Who was on the case and he didn't get paid off. It sounds like maybe he refused to get paid off. And there's like an inherited bitterness where he's like, my dad did what was right and he suffered for it and he died bitter about the whole thing. What he's been offered is that he's been trying for 15 years to sell a sequel to Free Fall to Ecstasy. Mm -hmm. His publishers cut him off. He doesn't have an agent. No one's interested. He's out there on his own dime. Um, Bobby said he'll help him publish it. And it's his last chance. A sequel to a novel whose premise is the character is is jumped off of. <laughs> it's a ridiculous sequel, is what I'm saying. Yeah, because like I think he says like the sequel. It's like the the like the main character is on his psychiatrist's couch and he's you know recounting everything that he's experienced or something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like oh, great. Um, so Jim is getting increasingly angry just about how frustrating it is to deal with Jack. Um, he had this hunch that all the stuff about truth and the writer's duty to his higher calling really meant something. And he has a last ditch. If it meant anything to you, you would come down to the DA with me. Mm-hmm. And Jack says that that ship has sailed. That ship has sailed, Jimmy. And they part ways. And that's when our hatted assassin comes up between, <laughs> behind Jim. <laughs> Puts a gun in the small of his back. I love how blasé Jim is about this. Like, yeah. he's in this heightened emotional state, and then this guy puts a gun in his back and is like, come with me. And he just rolls his eyes and says, I thought the rodeo left town in June. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, just another guy in a hat trying to kill me. Mm-hmm. Guides him into a bathroom, tells him to go into a stall, and he'll do it nice and quiet. <laughs> but then Jack bursts in the door. He's like, hey, Jimmy, and this distracts our, our hatted assassin. And Jim uses the bathroom door to slam the, the gun out of his hand. And between the two of them, they take him down. Jack had a change of heart right at the end. And mm-hmm. maybe I'll take this one to the DA. <laughs> so fun little bit of action. Um. Yeah. <laughs> and that, it, it was funny because like when he was like telling him to go and install like Jim's reaction, it's like, you got to be kidding me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we are hitting kind of a... Uh, sort of a Rockford wrap up here where it's like, okay, we do have to get through all this. We, we've, mm-hmm. we've put a lot of things in play and now we need to, to tie them up and we, we have like five minutes of episode left to do it <laughs> in. So let's, yeah, let's do it. Um, which leads us to our next scene, which is the, the uh, exposition by newscast. Right. Right. So we go to Jack being interviewed on TV and it kind of explains some of the details about like who did what when and and Jack and Jim are watching on Jim's couch. Rocky is balancing a tray on his hand yes. with the cast and going, <laughs> "Don't you fellows disturb yourselves. I'll get these burgers to the barbecue myself." What does it feel like toppling a dynastic family as big as the Atchisons? Well, not as good as I thought. Not as bad as I feared. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> 
the newscaster reads off all the folks who are implicated in the cover-up mm-hmm. and then says, we'll have a fuller story at six or whatever. And Jim says that's all that's left is to put it down on paper. Um, Jack is he's excited. He has a story burning inside and it's ready to ready to get out. But then he offers to help Rocky with the burgers and they go outside to the grill. Jim takes a look at Jack's notebook, which still is just full of scribbles and doodles. Yeah. <laughs> Seems to be coming along fine. And he makes a face while throwing it down. We have a freeze frame on Jim's dubious look at Jack's uh, yeah. notes for his for his next novel. The end. The end. So it was a fun one. I enjoyed coming back. There's a thing I was going to say about that ending bit. And I can't remember what it was. Oh, it's just throughout Jack has these wonderful turns of phrase about uh, like that moment in a creative endeavor when it's just flowing. Yeah. Right? When it's mm-hmm. just happening. And it never, ever actually applies to what's going on with him <laughs> in that moment. But, you know, he's like, it just lays out so beautifully or it's really cooking a lot. Like it really cooks, Jim. It really cooks. Yeah. It's like he's remembering how that stuff feels yeah yeah and is trying uh, to like summon it almost by like invoking it exactly exactly and it, it like there's several moments like yeah jack is the butt of a joke throughout like several mm-hmm. jokes throughout but there's several like as they say today uh there's several moments where it's just it's too real uh-huh. yeah, <laughs> like yeah. jack's uh struggle with uh the creative process um to some extent, he's not actually literally struggling with the creative process for most of it. He's not actually doing it. He's yeah. trying to solve a crime, not write a book about solving the crime. Uh, but uh, the yeah, I, I I just I guess I kind of I enjoyed that. As I said, he's struggling with the creative process and more that he's struggling with being an alcoholic. <laughs> Yes, exactly. <laughs> Which he has equated with the creative process right, at right. least once during the episode. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. There's definitely a lot of sympathetic vibe. I think to like being frustrated with work that you're trying to do that mm-hmm. isn't hitting, that isn't getting to like a certain peak or a certain point. Right. As people who both write and yeah, yeah, publish yeah. things, like <laughs> sometimes there's this sense of like I'm never going to get that again. Yeah. Welcome to writing advice corner on 200 a day. But like, <laughs> I feel like there's sometimes there's, there, there, there's a there's a fork sometimes where it's like, am I going to keep trying to reclaim something that I already did? Or am I going to go a mm-hmm. different direction and like do something right. different, even though it's kind of scary because it's not something that I've already done. And those can both be legitimate choices, but sometimes you bang your head against the do something the same I did, but better so much that you end up not doing anything at all. And you would have been better served going down that other path. Um, And he's just a portrait of a guy stuck in that, like I need to do what I did, but better. And Mm -hmm. that is a, that that's a vibe. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And it, and his is like, has this kind of complex thing where it was a bestseller, but, but kind of not on its merits. Yeah. As we find out that it like nobody read it. Uh, it, yeah, not, not on its merits. And, um, it's nobody will hire him to do anything else. It was like, no one will hire him to do that again, but they also won't hire yeah. him to do other things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like, he's, like I said, very sympathetic, pathetic character. He's, he's, uh, uh, Despite the yeah, despite the fact that he creates most of the trouble for Jim in this episode, <laughs> uh, the central mystery isn't 
too it's it is a mystery to us but it's not like a who could solve this mystery it's more of a like um it's a deliberate cover-up yeah so it's just a matter of uh, like pulling the pieces apart and that's what they're doing Mm -hmm. literally he's just doing uh rockford legwork but doing it for a self-destructive friend right Mm -hmm. like and that's the yeah i i i like that as a story yeah i feel like there's like maybe one like there might be like just slightly more like we're going to talk about something you don't know what we're talking about there's slightly more of that than i probably would Would prefer yeah yeah watching this episode is very passive it's very like just just watch it unfold which is fine there's nothing wrong with that um but going through it it's kind of like there's nothing really to say here because they're just talking about things that you're not going to find out (laughs) why they're talking about these things in this way till the very end there's a, there's a moment uh, about halfway through where we first hear about the yacht. Yeah. And it's such a throwaway line. And my notes are like, what? What yacht? What's happening? Mm. Like, what's... And it's not... I'm not frustrated by it, but it's like, okay, I guess we're going to find out. There's more to this. Because mm. at that point, if we're taking Jack at his word, they're a drug cartel. <laughs> right, right, right. And uh, I was like, wait a minute. Why is... There's more here. Mm. And... I like that's fine if that's what the story is doing is is like like oh don't get too comfortable with the current lie uh of it being about a drug because that's not true there's mm-hmm. something else happening here that but yeah I I agree that there's a little bit of like uh uh going back over it all of the character interactions between the antagonists make sense and fit really well mm-hmm. now that we have all the information but when we watch them they're full of mystery mm-hmm. and i like that they do fit well because oftentimes when shows do this or I shouldn't say oftentimes a possible route to go is to make these interactions full of mystery and then if you were to go back over them the nothing seems natural because they're not behaving Mm-hmm. how they would given the information you now know mm-hmm. they're just behaving in a mysterious way but in this case they are behaving in a mysterious way but you can now knowing the information be like oh i get why they're doing this i get this interaction with him at the club at the very beginning between stan and bob yeah and, yeah there's, there's actually a bit of a connection to how that works in um requiem for a funny box mm-hmm that was the writer. The writer, yeah. He does a similar thing in Requiem for a Funny Box, where we have the like the comedian and the mob guy having a conversation where we're not quite sure what the it is. Mm-hmm. Eventually, we we learn that it's the um the love affair, like the yes gay yeah. love affair that he overheard. That he overheard, and again that so that with that knowledge at the end, that makes that earlier vagueness work yeah so it's kind of interesting to see the same technique here like used for a different purpose obviously but it has a similar cadence where we get to see our antagonists early they have a conversation where we don't have the context but it makes sense once we do know the whole story yeah so there's a nice little there's a little writerly tick that yeah that, that <laughs> you can see in both episodes um yeah well have we earned it <laughs> i think we're we're at the end of the drive in here from my from my perspective um yeah fun episode a lot of rock traditionists mm-hmm. good scenes oh maybe not my favorite episode in aggregate right a little mushy in mm-hmm. how much exposition there is for me but sometimes that's just how it is and there's nothing wrong with that mm-hmm. uh, for sure do you have any other thoughts on the gang at Don's Drive-In? Worth it f- for uh, the Rocky Hook mm-hmm. and Dennis in Charge. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, with that, I suppose we'll try to avoid any uh, E. coli laden fast food notions between now and our, the next time we we record. But we'll be back next time to talk about another episode of the Rockman Files. Dark's night.